Hello, my name is Matthew Philbrick, host of The Real Game, a podcast by coaches for coaches. Welcome to this episode of The Real Game, a podcast by coaches for coaches. I am your host, Matt Pilbrick. I've had several requests to talk about this topic that we're going to talk about today. Uh, before we do that, though, I hope you got a chance to listen in last week. It was a great, fun episode. Uh, didn't really have to do with coaching so much as it did uh, talking to the guys on my basketball team and what it was like for them to win another championship and it was good to have some of those guys on here and hear from them and to kind of just hear their perspective on things and kind of what is going through the athlete's mind, uh, getting ready for big games and and big seasons and stuff like that. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, definitely tune in. Uh, today, I want to talk about something that no coach really enjoys. You know, for the most part, as coaches, we enjoy pretty much every aspect of coaching, at least I do, uh, you know, for the most part. The idea in the process of making cuts, however, can be daunting sometimes. And like I said, I've had a few people ask to, hey, you should do an episode on making cuts. And I'd be curious to think, you know, to hear what you think and maybe what some other coaches think. So I reached out to a friend of mine today, a friend and a fellow coach, uh, Matt McLaughlin. Matt and I played basketball together at Northland for, Matt, I want to say it was just a year, but it might have been two. It was actually two, and we were able to actually play a year. I actually got a semester in with your brother, Mark, I think. Okay, yeah, that I sounds think you're right. probably right. Yeah. I think, yeah, two for you and I, and I think a semester with just your brother, Mark. Good, good. So Matt and I got to know each other pretty well. We haven't really talked too much since college, but uh, with the wonders of technology and Facebook, I've been able to kind of keep up on, on what Matt's been doing. I know you've been coaching a lot. So, Matt, it's good to have you on the show today. Just Give us a little bird's eye view of, of your coaching experience, where it started, and kind of how it's led you up to what you're doing now. Appreciate that. Will do. I'm glad to, glad to be here. I'm sure that uh, some people will take it as, a, as a, with a grain of salt, I'm sure, the things we say, but I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and just hang out with you. Yeah, um, great. Um, first of all, I actually retired last fall after 35 years in coaching, and it was okay. not something I knew was going to happen. Um, at 57, I really didn't think I would be coaching 35 years, so it was kind of a neat thing. But most awesome. of it's been related to soccer, both in high school and college. Um, and so a lot of the comments will pertain to that. Um, but I've also coached basketball in high school and in college for both men and women, and baseball, done some softball as well on the high school level, all those things, and had cut levels in different programs there, so that would all, uh, all pertain to that. Um, I started at 21. Um, I sat out for two years in between where I was going to school, at Pillsbury College and then finishing up at Northland together with you there. Um, I sat out for two years, paid off some bills, earned some money and came back. And in those two years, found that I needed some kind of connection. I'm like, hey, why don't I go see if I can help at Fourth Baptist where I actually I was living three blocks away. Sure. And thankfully, my job worked with that. So I was able to get my start there as an assistant and then kind of work through the process over the years of becoming of ending up where I am at the, at the moment. Awesome. That's good. Uh, it's 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 neat to hear what everybody's coaching journey is like. And it sounds like you've dabbled in quite a few sports, not just basketball. My perspective is mostly basketball. I've coached some soccer here and there. 
um, for a few years, but mostly basketball, definitely my passion. It sounds like soccer is probably your passion. And you mentioned, I think to me in an email or text that you've even officiated quite a bit, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have done so. I really, um, I didn't get a chance to listen to last week's podcast. I listened to a number, but I, I listened to your brother's com- comments with you and I thought it was really insightful and in the fact that he got an opportunity to insert himself into something that he loved and it's clearly a need where we um, are lacking right now a need of officials and um, a lot of it has to do just with the response of players and people and we seem like mm-hmm. we're on a professional level and we're not right this is right. an amateur sport thing and we really want to recruit that but yeah i've had some time there and um done some <clears throat> one game of division one <laughs> as an official and uh and then numerous games on division three level and high school games as well okay. so that's pretty cool and just kind of as a teaser for an episode that may be coming up next week i'll be hosting a guy named Paul, I won't give you his last name right now, but he has a podcast of his own called Crown Refs, and uh, it's a pretty big podcast, and he has a lot of officials on there, and he's going to be joining me probably next week uh, if we can work that out, so definitely tune in for that. But hey, I want to dive right into today's topic. You know, making cuts, it's it's never an easy thing. Uh, it's not something that we as coaches look forward to. I've kind of I've kind of gone back and forth, honestly, on my opinion of is it is it really a great thing to make cuts? Is it a good thing to cut kids from your team? Um, as our program has grown here at the school I'm at now, we've gotten to a place where we've kind of been forced into it from a sheer numbers perspective. In your experience, Matt, does cutting athlete from teams strengthen or weaken an athletic program? Um, I think you have, it has clearly the potential to do both. Um, you're talking exactly where you at. When you grow into the numbers, you sometimes have no choice. Right. Um, just because the, it dic- it's dictated by an opportunity for kids to play. And when they don't have an opportunity to play, now we're too deep. We have too much going on, which is in some ways unfortunate. But we're also talking about competitive athletics um, versus being recreational or even mm-hmm. um, intramural. And so when you're speaking of that, um, I think it has the potential to hurt when you have small numbers. Um, but it certainly does have opportunity to help when you have larger numbers. And, and it, I think it it strengthens no matter what your numbers are. I think it strengthens a program when you have what is, and it's a technical term. It's not me um, hacking on players. It's when you have what are called drill killers. <clears throat> you have kids who love the sport, great kids, great people, um, but they're not necessarily players who are athletic enough to actually help your program. Mm-hmm. And actually in the midst of the process, it's not that you can't develop them somewhat, but when you put them in a drill and the drill dies and it's noticeable nearly every time, those are, I think that's probably the greatest strength. So sure, it's a difficult spot. Nobody really cares to be in that, but you have to have those conversations and sometimes you have to have it within a two day window. I mean, you've been at it, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years at least in the game and I've been doing it for a long time. So thankfully you have some time in to see that that you're running into those kids. Um, yeah, and then that is a help. Yeah. It's funny that you bring up the word, the, you know, the, the phrase drill killers. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about and it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, if you have a big heart and you want to keep maybe more kids than you should keep on a roster, or perhaps you're planning for, Hey, I can't use all these guys this year, but uh, I'm graduating five seniors. So I'm going to need, to start developing these guys for next year. Uh, but, but you're not always using these kids. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, um, Hey, I need 
I need you, you and you to just sit this drill out for for a little bit. And I hate to do that, but in order to give maximum benefit to the guys who really need it, sometimes you need to pull some kids out of there and and say, you, you guys need to sit this one out. And that that might be right there, a good indication that maybe they shouldn't even be there to begin with. And I think that's a fair statement. And I think what you're talking about is more on a varsity level than a JV or even a freshman, sophomore level or JV two level, a JV two level. They are who they are. Um, That freshman level and sophomore level as they're developing, you might still have to pull them at different points during the early portions of a season, but then later in the season, you can add as the season wears on and as they grow into it and start to learn the process of the drill, sometimes you can help them develop a little bit of a skill set and, and you can keep them for depth purposes at that point when you have multiple levels, but on yeah. a single level, I think you're, you're right. Or on a, just a dual level of varsity and JV, um, especially on that varsity level, it has to be something that can be productive for your program in a competitive set. Yeah. 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 And just and for the sake of discussion, you know, we're, we're talking today about, basically high school level. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we might not talk about cuts so much at like the college level as much or youth sports where, like you said, that's more developmental. Um, But definitely at the high school varsity level, um, it's it's a real thing. And I've had very serious conversations with some of my own coaches here about how to handle this very thing. So um, you sent me some paperwork, which I looked over this morning that was really good. I really liked it. Uh, every coach needs to develop their own criteria for keeping and cutting players. What are some things you look for in a player when sculpting a team? And that stuff you sent me was phenomenal, by the way. Um, it's something I've used from uh, another program, and they allowed me to use it and told me I could adapt it. However, it worked best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, it's we, we go in four different areas in our criteria. So let me say this. What I do is we start at the end of the season – in our conversation today so that we can go to the beginning of the season. How do we rate them? We take 22 kids on our playoff roster in soccer and I do an individual, uh, we've talked as coaches too already, but I'll do an individual evaluation of that paperwork I sent you for each kid at at, um, a year end banquet. And we rank them in multiple different levels. And as we rank them as a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and if we feel like they've got collegiate potential and three of my coaches including myself of the four in my program in the last number of years, we've all been head coaches and at least on a high school level. And our fourth coach is the head coach of a lacrosse program, but he's an assistant for us in soccer. So we all have that understanding of what cuts should be and that kind of stuff. So it helps, but we rank them one, two, three, four, five freshmen is one sophomores, two, three, four, and five, you know, for a junior, senior in college in four prime areas and then subcategories under there um, of about, 20 categories roughly total, but we'd run rank them technically and we'll refer to soccer. Um, how do you receive the ball, your speed of play, how you score, finishing, passing, tactical, some decision making. How do you in your decision making, how are you pressuring the ball? Do you have a positional understanding? Are you creative when you have the ball? Team concepts, do you have good support? Psychologically, um, do you have mental toughness? That's mm-hmm. subjective. But when you've got four yep. coaches who've been together. You'll see as a kid throw his hands up in the air. And so the reason I mentioned mental toughness and communication and drive and coachability, teamwork, all those things under psychological, a lot of that is a subjective piece. Sure. But when you have time in, um, you start to see those pieces. And then physically, the last part, you know, what's their fitness? What's their speed? Um, Just individually, not speed of play, but quickness as a player. 
their agility and balance, those kinds of things. And, and I rank technically, tactically, psychologically, and physically at the end of the season. And then I make some comments of my own, just sidebar. I never, um, uh, I just, the lack of a better way to say it is I never cut them off at the knees, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, right. There are things, hey, we want you to work on these two areas or three areas you've done well. Um, this player's done well in the last year of improving these two areas, that kind of thing. And then we want to see them step up to the next year at this point. I do see that this, and I don't put that in there if I'm not sure that I believe they're able to get there, but they haven't shown me yet. Mm-hmm. I don't put in there, hey, I believe this player has the ability to play at the next level, whether that's um, high school um, staying on varsity or whether that's uh, collegiate. I don't put those in there unless I believe that's true of that player. And then okay. I make a sidebar comment, just an encouragement. Hey, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens to you this next summer and then this next fall you come back to us, et cetera. And then we give them that at the end of the year. And so as a freshman, you should have a rank of at least 28 points. You get one in every one of those categories and all four of those areas, one, 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 and it adds up your total. As a sophomore, you should be getting two. Now I rank by half points. So if I got a sophomore who's playing like a junior, he's going to get ranked as a three point instead of a two or okay. two and a half or sometimes three and a half in a stronger category. Wow. But he's only in 10th grade. And all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute, he's playing at the level of a junior, junior and a half. So they get a good written evaluation in front of them. And then I can always email that back to them and, or they can <laughs> copy it and send it when they want to put together their athletic resume for a college that says, well, what do you have? Now they have a review from a coach right in their eyeballs, right in front of their eyeballs um, that they can give a point value to. And so as a senior, I expect that they ought to be ranked at a hundred to 112 points at four points a piece in a category. Right, and sometimes right. they're ranked lower. Sometimes it's just an area they struggle with. They don't head the ball. Well, they don't use a weak foot. Well, so, and I don't go harsh. I don't rank like a junior who's supposed to be typically all threes. I don't rank them at a one. I'll give them a two at worst. Hey, you're probably sophomore level at this with this, you know, let's improve it. Those kinds of things. So okay. hopefully that gives you that info and you're feel free to share that information with people. Um, the player's name and information that's on there, their family would be perfectly fine with other people seeing that information. Okay. And then the second part in the, in the bottom in those red, in that red box is it, literally defines every area um, um so receiving this is what i'm looking at first touch control of the ball in the air and other you know so it defines it for the player mm-hmm. as well yeah so there's no confusion and then i didn't send it to you but if other people reach out and want them both i also have a, a goalkeeper evaluation that does essentially the same thing okay okay so long explanation i know but we, we kind of had to start there so you know why i talk how i talk about our process. Yeah. no that's really good and i i I like I like the uh, I like the information there. It's easy for coaches, at least for most coaches, to evaluate a player. There's a lot of things we can measure, right? I mean, we can measure their speed, we can measure their flexibility, we can measure all of these things. But there's the section on there that jumped out to me was the section on like work ethic and character, and you know things that not things that don't stand out right away. Like like you said, they're very subjective. Um, the psychological part yeah but I, I really like that and uh, i'm glad that you included that on there because it's something that i'm really looking for and uh if anybody if anybody wants to get a hold of that i'm happy to send it to you just send me an email at calvarycoach at gmail.com and uh, i can reach out to matt to get the uh the goalie portion of that too if anybody's interested but i think it's super important to have a set of criteria that you're using that provides consistency year in and year out so that players know what to expect they know what they're shooting for, 
And, uh, you know, that, and then they're not confused if they get cut or if they don't get cut and they know where they stand on the team. Agreed. Um, quick sidebar comment to that. Someone's going to wonder, well, what do you do with JVers that are going to come up and replace a class of 12? You just graduated. Sure. Yeah. What we do in our program is there's, we're nearly between the 50 and 60 mark minimum every year. So we got three levels and it's close, but we love that 17, 18 mark. So you got to run enough playing time for kids. Um, at the end of the year, because they have been head coaches, thankfully, otherwise I would be standing next to them doing it as well. But it's hard to take time away from the varsity group of 22 that now is in playoffs. Mm-hmm. And we need to practice two days before our next game. But we're also ending the season for JV and our freshman level or JV2. Freshman, sophomore are together. We take them aside about one minute in the last practice, come together, just have a good fun scrimmage, hanging out, not turning your uniform, blah, blah, you know, all that kind of stuff and have a great day. Um, and those opportunities and the coach, my, I'm, I'm the head coach. We have a varsity assistant head coach that stays with the varsity program, does not run a program. Then there's a JV coach and a JV two coach. That varsity assistant has always gone and stood shoulder to shoulder with the JV and the JV two coach when they speak with that player. Not to intimidate the player, but so that they talk with them. And they give them about a one-minute sure. review. Hey, you've had a good year. Wow, look where you were when you started. We we love that you're doing this kind of work. These are the three, two, one, two, three things that you've really improved on. We'd like to see you do this for next year. And we've talked to Coach Mack about this. And so that you understand this is the steps that he sees as well. Right, and right. so for you to step up. And I make it a point to get to games, even if it's for 30 minutes or 20 minutes on the lower levels. Mm-hmm. as much as I can during the course of the season. Sometimes we play at the same time. You can't always do that. Right. Depending upon where you're located. But so, so that others are wondering, yeah, we definitely connect with our lower levels as well at the end of the season. Okay. For, and one minute doesn't sound like a lot, but when a kid's nervous approaching a coach, what's he going to yeah. tell me? Am I terrible? Am I horrible? Do I have no chance? No, 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 no. Same, same issue. We don't go cutting them off at the kneecaps. Good. So. Good. Let me uh, just shift gears a little bit and ask you this in, in your experience, do you think cutting players from a team causes them to work harder to make it next year, or does it cause them to walk away from the game? I think it's both. Um, you have the Michael Jordan effect. Everybody's heard it. You got cut as a sophomore, and that coach is so famous for that, yeah. <laughs> knowing what the final outcome of a career is. Right. You know, for a it's easy to look back. So everybody, yeah, it's easy to look back, so everybody knows that. I actually think it does drive players more, at least from our era and our day. I can't speak to that as heavily – now in related to basketball, but I can the soccer because I mean, mm-hmm. fortunately, unfortunately, I haven't dealt with basketball in like, wow, almost 20 years. Holy cow. Uh, but it's <laughs> I do think I do think it has a drive for most of them. And when we're talking a cut, my cut at a high school level is viewed from multi-level versus solo level. If you have one level, I think you're going to lose kids. And that's unfortunate. That's part of the gig. Some places say here's the numbers we have to be at and you have to abide by whatever the athletic policy is if you have multiple levels i think it's different so you have an opportunity to say here's why you are where you are at um so i think that's um that's part of that yeah that's a good Um, point and i think too from my experience it depends on the kid you know if a kid is just mm -hmm. out if the kid is out just recreationally because they enjoy the social aspect or whatever, you know, that might cause them to walk away from the game. But if a kid lo- really loves the game and they're driven and they want to succeed, you'll, you'll almost always see that kid back. I agree with you on that. Um, we had to go through it last year where we had some kids who were on the bubble who had and they were not bad players at all, just had a little bit of a struggle at different points. 
and um, we had to have them play some JV, but within four games, they're both up for varsity and they were the rest of the year. And so, which is perfectly fine. That's what the point is for, for some development right, right. to do some things. Some of it was related to injury, but then once the injuries came back, they still stuck out and they were yeah. here. Yeah. And so those are the things that we look for, giving them the opportunity to develop in that multi-level and to do some things to improve their game in multiple minutes on a JV level where on a varsity, they may have a hard time fitting in. And, and um, for that, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun. I don't want to do that, but how we make that process work for us on our program. Yeah. We can yeah. get to later if you want to touch that. But, yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely do. So I hope that answers that question enough there, but. It does. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give you a, a hypothetical now. Okay. Sure. Uh, you're down to your last cut. You have two kids that are pretty equal in talent, work ethic, attitude, et cetera. Like, you know, you look at these kids, it's like, wow, I'm having a super hard time deciding here which one of these kids to keep. One's a sophomore, one's a junior. Who are you keeping? One's There's got to go. Yeah. Okay, there we go. That's what I was going to say. There's two two areas. So you just basically answered one. If you're at a solo level, I think this is where we're talking. We have no choice. Yep. And so this is more of it. Um, this is the hardest part. This is where you run into the psychological piece, I think. Mm -hmm. And if they're close, even there, I understand that. Unfortunately, we have to be forecasters. And you know how that works in the weather and forecasting. Um, you can say what it is. In fact, today's cloudy out um, here in, in Minnesota, but it had some forecast for sun a couple days ago. <laughs> so you know how that works. The forecast <laughs> yep. may not always be accurate, but it has some truth to it. It did Correct. say it was going to cloud yeah. up later. It's cloudy for Easter. So, but I look at it this way. I have to look at each ind kid individually, not comparatively. And so if I look at that junior and say, we have basketball, we have 12 available spots in our program. We've had 15 kids. We've already let two go. We have to let a third go. We have no choice to get down to 12. Is he going to replace one of those four senior spots with some consistency next year, not compared to each other? So you're comparing his talent alone to where he could be positionally. Is he going mm -hmm. to be at a 12 spot this year? He's going to be a secondary sub, not a primary sub. Um, is he going to develop, have an opportunity to develop enough to be of benefit? And this is not a negative to the player, but you do have to take program perspective um, first at points and then develop the players in program perspective. So I say, is he going to be able to help us a year from now? Um, when we have four seniors who graduate and all four who are playing, let's assume that um, just for the sake of argument today. But then you look at that player and say, is he going to be a six, seven, eight player a year from now? Do we see him as that as a senior being the 12th player or is he going to be um, an eight, nine, 10 player? Right. And then we bring up our guys who are coming in next year from whatever. You only have freshmen to senior, this eighth grade class coming out of junior high. We have three or four kids. Are they going to, you know, next year, or is he competing for minutes with them to improve? We'll have to, you, you have to adjust for that next year. I don't think that's that. That's not a question you can answer this year. Right. Yep. Um, so we take that out of the equation. You just look at it and say, with this group of 12, we have eight spots left is he number eight still next year do we see that of him with development so the player this is where you do comparative this year against player number 11 does he have the chance to supplant that player we're not sure well, that's why we're mm -hmm. ranking where we're ranking now yeah yeah and so that's a difficult question but I, I think you have to ask that on both all the questions i gave you for the junior we have to ask the exact same question to the sophomore okay yep and then yep. you have to look at then we have to go back comparatively against each other and say do I believe 
Here's the forecast with the, with the coaching staff for the time in and the years we've had together. Do I believe player A is the junior, player B is the sophomore? Does player A have the ability next year to be a prime sub? Is he the 6'7 coming in, or is he going to be the 8 and maybe 8'9, depending upon what kid comes into the program? Sure, yep. And then, yep. Or is that sophomore going to be at the same level with him as a junior? Going to be an eight, nine or seven, six, seven, eight, nine. And if they're going to be the same level the next year, the hard, hard cut is I have an opportunity to develop a sophomore who's going to give us two years of opportunity at that mm-hmm. last spot. And the hard part is, is you're um, having to forecast that, but that's where you really got to lean on your um, assistant or assistance as well. in a combination of that. And if it comes down to it, you talk with your AD and say, Hey, look, here's where we're at. Here's why. Here's what we've talked about as a staff. I want you to be aware of the conversation that's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have to choose your player. Yeah. And so I think that is a factor, in my opinion, no, that's uh, good. where that's... the cuts come and how that happens and that kind of thing. So that's a great answer. Great answer. I, I agree with you 100%. I like the, uh, I like the process you have for, for whittling that stuff down and takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. And, mm-hmm. um, Okay, I didn't. I, I know I sent you some questions ahead of time. This isn't one that I sent you, but I know that you're going to be able to answer sure. this based on your experience. Do you ever let's, include? Let's <laughs> I know you will. Do you ever include? I'm going to say a nasty word here. Okay, parents in the discussion when you cut a kid, or do you simply just talk to the kid alone? I actually have the notes here. So <laughs> what we do is um, our process is this. I'll give you. A, a one minute, hopefully rundown on how we process. Yeah. And then it'll tell you why I answer the way I do. Um, what we do is um, we actually take that form that I gave you. And we basically look at those four areas, mm-hmm. that technical, tactical, so uh, psychological, and uh, the those four areas together that we look at. And, and then I say, all right, that player is all four. This is where the I test comes in do they pass mm-hmm. the eye test when we're asking them to be in a scrimmage like i said the mental part when a kid makes a mistake oh i know coach is watching his hands go up in the air and he made yeah. a mistake he doesn't recover in the process or does he <clears throat> turn around boom generate that frustration of himself right back into the program winning right back into the drill of the program running himself into getting that ball back helping defend um stealing the ball then coming back communicating you know those kinds of things so i think mm-hmm. you understand there so we make our decisions based on those four criteria and then we usually have about a four-day window max um and sometimes three depending upon how soon we start the season i'm hopeful for what we try to do is get individual drills team drills some and then scrimmage every day so, and it's not always 11 on 11 it's like five on five six on six more mm-hmm. big game things to them then eventually 11 and 11 each day we try and do that doesn't always work to get the 11 on 11 the first day because you're starting the season right but those next two to three days we want to get them scrimmaging and if you step on the field in our program as an eighth grader and you've made the leap and been able to do that um in our setting and, and out of our 55 kids ish we had a couple we had a number of eighth graders who could play almost 60 and we had a number of kids who could play at that JV and JV two level. If you step on the field, my opinion is you're being looked at as a varsity player. Okay. So even if you make JV two your first year or JV and varsity, and then last year we had an eighth grader make our playoff roster, not gifted. And so that's why we look at that. Well, that 
last day, um, what we'll do is we'll talk to all the players. We'll put them together. It's not the perfect storm. It's not always the best. I don't like to put out a printed form because then the kid's like, well, my name wasn't even up there. Right, right. Don't like that. Yeah. And it's hard because now you're reading off. Here's our guys that we're keeping for varsity. And we usually do only a 17 max to start. And I'll explain that in a moment. But 17 on varsity, roughly the same on JV. And then JV2, we load up a little more so they get more playing time. Mm -hmm. But we'll name off varsity, name off JV. And then we tell the rest that you guys are actually JV2. And then... We send them immediately to their teams on different fields. Um, I'm in a Monticello Public High School is where I was at most recently and in Minnesota, and we had multiple fields. So we have each team having their own area to practice. Good. During the course of that session and the session the next day, because it's so many, I asked because they're head coaches, I asked those coaches to talk to each player for 15 seconds. Okay. While you're in the midst of a drill and the kid comes back to this line or that line, hey, just want to tell you this is what we see for you. Coach and I have talked. This is what we need you to develop on. If you want to make us lead to the next level, this is what we see for you. Does that make sense? Right, do you have questions about that? Yeah. Kids who are, know they're on the bubble, are they a varsity or a JV? And they're not top 17, but we have another five or six spots to fill by the end of the year. I stay at the end of that first day when we do those cuts, and so do our coaches to have those kids have an opportunity to come speak mm -hmm. to us. Yeah. Because yeah. somebody's going to be frustrated they're not there, and rightly so. I want, I don't want upset kids. I want kids frustrated that they think they're better than where they were placed. Mm -hmm. I love that. That means the kids got drive. Yeah. And so it's not under the penalty. And clearly the hardest day of the year is it just is. And we'll explain it in my final comments, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just clearly the hardest day of the year. And so I want to, um, say that and we've had kids come nearly every year to talk to us and then if they still feel, don't feel like they've got satisfaction what we do is we tell them here's why i see this here's the criteria we've looked at in the eye test of a b and c in the last couple of days work through get through and you'll improve and we've had kids um as soon like i said as soon as a couple of games be up and then they're up the rest of the year and sometimes yeah. it takes you five or six or seven games out of 16 to really see that kind of come to fruition yeah but that's yeah. where we go in that process so that's our cut process and long to say that and we haven't even addressed the parents yet i tell the parents at the beginning of the year in the parent and player meeting <clears throat> uh we are grateful for your support i don't speak to parents about playing time or, or the position your team is in yeah, or your son. Your son is a on what team? And then I had to, and I explain it, and I wait for that to stall out for about five to six <laughs> seconds. So it seems like an eternity. Yeah, it's stale air for five minutes. Yeah, and I say it every year. So repeat offenders as parents and players understand. Right, and right. It, repeat offenders is the right word. <laughs> it's yeah. a positive. There, they're coming back to our program every year. Mm -hmm. I say that, and then I say, let me explain. In three to five years, your son, some of your sons will be out of college in five years yep. and sitting in a chair across from an employer in a tough conversation. They have to advertise themselves and sell themselves and have a conversation. Or if they're 22 or 23 and it's a first promotion after a year or two out of college, mom and dad aren't going to be sitting on their shoulder. And this is a small failure window is what I call it. And I'm not harsh when I say I'm not talking to parents. I just say we don't talk to parents about it. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm kind with that. I'm not trying to be ruthless. Right. But right. approaching a coach is tough for a teenager. You're talking a 14 to 17-year-old kid. Yeah. So that's a difficult yep. spot for those kids. So that's why we say we give them a small failure window. This is athletics. It is something they love and they're driven and they've practiced and been into all of their life. But it's a game 
And so if they have a hard time approaching, they've had practice. That job interview is not their first practice. Right. They've had to come to a coach, somebody who's in leadership, and sort that out. And it's not always an easy answer. It's not maybe not the answer they want. Yeah. And so yep. the small failure window is it's the game. If they've not had practice, the big failure window is they don't respond well at work as they get older because we haven't taught them on the field how to respond rightly in negative situations or positively in positive situations. Yeah. And they respond negatively in positive situations. Oh, yeah, you know, better than you, the trash talk process. And they do that in the work setting. Sometimes all of a sudden you've lost a job. Now you've mm -hmm. lost income. Now you have to figure out your mortgage. Now you're right. going to figure out how you – now you're figuring out how you have to deal with family issues. Sure. Sure. Yeah. At that point. And so we want that as a practice field piece and it's a small piece, but it's just a cut process. So yeah, and, that was not one minute. I know. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's all, all good information. And athletics is such a microcosm of life. There's so many good lessons to be yes. learned there, even through the cuts process. You know, I, you, you referenced in your comments about, you know, talking to parents and, and uh, I have a meeting pretty much before every season with my parents there's like three things I tell them that are non-negotiable things I will not discuss with you. Number one, your kid making or not making the team. Okay. That's not up to the parents. Number two, playing time. If they made the team playing time is not something I'll discuss with you. And yep. number three is strategy X's and O's. I won't discuss that with you and I won't allow you to talk to another coach about their strategy. You know, that's completely up to the coach. Coaches right. are in that position because I trust them to be there. If I didn't trust them, they wouldn't be there. Um, so I, I trust the process that they're that they're doing and then developing. So your your comments are are fantastic in that area. I I do not um, I, I personally have never really included parents in that process ever. Uh, I I know some coaches who have discussed cutting their 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 athletes with the parents, and I always discourage that because I feel like it can turn into where a quick discussion with a player. Once you include the parents in that, it could turn into a parent trying to persuade you and convince you why their child ought to be on the team. And that's just not a good right. position for either one of you to be in. Great. hundred percent agree. And I think the, one of the caveats keeping that that way is even when it's just player and coach and no parent, even or a parent involved too, either way, no matter how that comes, comes to it, it's never a conversation about their individual child compared to, child a b c d down the road mm -hmm. yep. it is this is who we see your child as this is where we see them this is why we see them there yeah and we do not speak of well he's uh, your son bobby is not playing as well as billy and his left foot is not but no we think your son needs to improve in these two areas in order to make the next step and not that he's not playing and trying to improve he just needs to improve more strongly mm -hmm. In right, his areas. right. And so I, you have to compare the player to himself in those conversations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I agree with you hundred percent. I'm just going to go over with you that sure. I have four things written down of sure. things that I kind of do when I make cuts. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, they all kind of fit into what we've talked about already. And we have just two or three minutes left here, but sure. Number, number one is set clear expectations. We, you talked about that. Um, being consistent in what you're looking for year in and year out and letting the players know ahead of time, here's what I'm looking for uh, before tryouts even start. And I think that's super important. Being upfront with them about the decision-making process, you know, what you're looking for. Number two, when you make cuts, do it quickly. In other words, um, don't wait, you know, between let's, let's say you have three days of practice 
And then, you know, by the end of that third day, who your team's going to be. Don't spend two or three days. Don't draw the process out. Make it immediate and address those kids. Let them know, you know, here's where you stand. Um, The other thing is privacy. Do it in do it in a situation where it's not in front of their peers or in front of other kids. Like you said, you referred to several times, have whether it's you or an assistant, pull them aside and talk to them in person. Give give them the respect of addressing them face to face. Don't put up a list. Don't um, don't say it in front of the whole team. Here's my team. Here's who's not making the team. And then the last thing, and you again alluded to this, encourage them in what they can do better. Um, Give them some positive things that they're doing well and encourage them in what they can do better and improve on for the following year. So those are kind of the four areas I, I focus on. I think those are all great. Every one of those is a great spot. I think you're 100% right. Just a couple of quick comments and you're on. I'm sure we're good. But um, things that I think we've got to keep in mind. One, we're dealing with people. Sure. We're not dealing with numbers. Yep. Yes, numbers is part of it. We're dealing with numbers. Um, but um, the, they are 14 to 17-year-old people. Keep that in mind. They're not colleagues. Absolutely. And I don't mean that as a negative to the kids. I mean, they are kids. They're learning the process from us Right. difficulty. Mm-hmm. What is the process of difficulty? So number one, two, players should be different people. When they leave your program, they come into me in position A, whatever they are. At the end of the season, they should be better people. Yeah. And especially by the time they're seniors, if they're with us for that entire time. And so um, I think they have to be better people. When you build people that way, you build a program, but you also build better players. That's yep. a byproduct. There's no right. question. Right. So building the individual. And then three, it's my last comment on that. I think the key in building those players is to lay out personal challenges sometimes for them, but clearly team challenges that have some difficulty for them so they can grow into them. It's where you find your leaders. Mm-hmm. It's where you find not just your followers, but your subsection of leaders, the next level, right. who is right. going to be next year in your future. And I think putting them in some difficult spots, but not putting them in unattainable spots yeah, yeah. Um, is a real gray window sometimes, but <laughs> you know, a real gray line that you can step over, not window, but a real gray line you can step over. But yeah, definitely. Um, so those things. So, well, Matt, listen, you have been awesome on this, uh, on this episode today. I really appreciate the information you've given us. It's been great sure. to have you on the show. Like I said earlier, if anybody is interested in in some of the things that Matt alluded to in his um, the paperwork he uses to evaluate players, I'm happy to send that to anybody that wants it. And I know Matt would would be happy to share that information with you as well. Have a great day, Matt. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Really love this uh, podcast. Fantastic. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode of The Real Game. Like we mentioned earlier in the episode, if you are interested in any of the resources or material that we talked about, feel free to email me at calvarycoach at gmail.com, and I'm happy to forward that information to you. I'd like to leave you today with a quote by Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice is an American former professional football player who was a wide receiver for 20 seasons in the NFL, known primarily as a member of the San Francisco 49ers winning three championships He then had two shorter stints at the end of his career with Oakland Raiders and the Seattle Seahawks. Nicknamed World because of his superb catching ability, his accomplishments, and numerous records, Rice is widely regarded as the greatest wide receiver in NFL history and one of the greatest players of all time. His quote is this, Today I will do what others won't, so tomorrow I can accomplish what others can't. So good luck, coaches, and coach on.